I work with Adventist Frontier Missions. How many of you have ever heard of Adventist Frontier Missions before? Yeah, AFM is a very unique organization. AFM is unique because they saw a problem happening in the church back about 35 years ago. You know, the Adventist church is spread all over the world. We're in so many countries of the globe. And uh, they, the, the church somewhere in the 1970s started pulling back and saying, let's let the local people handle local problems. But they re- realized that not all fields had yet been touched. And so only missionaries were being sent out who were administrators of existing hospitals, existing schools, and that kind of thing. And so there was a a man, Clyde Morgan, who said, you know, there are a lot of people groups that haven't yet heard the gospel. We need to, to... send missionaries who would start up churches. And so Adventist Frontier Missions was started with that purpose to really reach people groups by language. And uh, we send people on a long-term basis. So you've heard of short-term missions. Well, AFM has short-term missionaries. They go from two to four years. That's our short-term, not two to four weeks. And uh, our long-term missionaries are between eight to 12 years, some 15 years. And our family served for 10 years in Turkey. Hamd olsun, Türkçe öğrendik. Çok zor, çok deflarca, deftarlar doldurdum, cümleler yazdım, hepsi. We had to learn Turkish there. And uh, boy, that was a stressful time. <laughs> and very difficult for this Nebraska-born boy. Get my lips, get my ears to even hear the sounds and the words there. And uh, by God's grace, uh, we have started a church there in Turkey against all odds. Uh, Muslims, the country is 99.8% Muslim. And uh, uh, this afternoon at 2.30, I'm going to tell some stories about uh, how the church in Turkey is doing and the movement that is now expanding, the work in the Middle East. Do you know in the Middle East alone, and this is where the church still has a last frontier, if I can say, the Seventh-day Adventist church hasn't yet penetrated, let alone the Christian church. But throughout the Middle East, there are, if you take all the countries of North Africa, Iran, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, up into uh, Afghanistan, there are about 400 million people. That's more than the population of the United States. Over 130 cities of a million or more persons. And in that area, we only have 3,000 Seventh-day Adventists. That's less than Rocky Mountain Conference, isn't it? I, I think Rocky Mountain's about 3,500 members. And so there's a great work that is yet to be done uh, there in the Middle East. And this afternoon, we're going to tell you some interesting stories about what is being done, creative works, and how God is, is uh, multiplying the efforts of those who have gone. But uh, this is our sermon time, so let's pull out our Bibles and uh, let's get into the Word of God. Turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. And I want you to, as we read this together, before we start, let me just say a prayer, if you would. Bow your heads, Father in heaven, as we open the Bible together this day, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be here. Open our minds and our hearts in a new way to see uh, this passage in, a, in an impactful way that would give us hope and courage in a, 
in a time in which is full of dangers. Thank you, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen. I invite you to begin with verse uh, 7. We're going to read through 11. And imagine yourself just lying in your bed, and the Lord is speaking these words of hope to you. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. So there you are laying in bed and the Lord is instructing you. And you're taking in courage and strength as His words fall on your ears. And you say this out to Him in return. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Amen. This verse speaks about contentment, about rest, and about peace. Those are things we all want, aren't they? Don't we want contentment in our life? And yet those are things that the world only makes promises about. Even really in the media, you don't hear too many times people talking about contentment or peace. And maybe only a a few uh, life coaches or or, uh, some guru might try to promote the idea that you could have rest, soul rest. And here God gives the key to it. How many of you would like in in a life filled with worries and anxieties and fears to have calm? I've been watching the presidential debates just a few times. Anybody watch the Republican uh, Party debates and them going back and forth? Boy, we live in a very fearful world. I told my boys, I said, when I was a kid and they had Republican debates, they would just talk about taxes and inflation. Now, I mean, everything, every week we have bombs exploding and things happening in Iran and Saudi Arabia and they're pressing these men with answers. We want answers to these solutions. Well, that's worries on a macro scale, but on a micro scale, we have our own worries, don't we? And here the the psalmist writes, I will not be shaken, because there are things in life that shake us, shake us to our very core. For my family and I, moving to Turkey really shook us up. (laughs) And I can say that, uh, you know, refugees get a lot of attention in the world. Refugee life is not easy. People being uprooted from their homeland and then have to move across without just carrying on their backs what they can. And and, uh, we worry about the refugees. Why? Because we all want stability in our life. We want predictability in our life. The life of a missionary is just the opposite. It's to say, I am going to reject stability and predictability, and I am going to move to a land in which the language I don't know, and the people I do not know, and the food I do not know. And so I'm standing in a supermarket fumbling to even understand as the woman is saying to me, that she wants this amount of money, and I, I don't know. I just give her all my money, and she's got to pick through it, you know, because I, I don't know what she's saying. And I'm sitting on a little, little bus, and we're zooming up a hill that I know is going to my house, and I shout out, Stop! 
but in English. And the bus just continues on. (laughs) And we go mile after mile, and I can't get that bus to stop. Oh, it's so difficult. And our life is just, you know, shaken up in so many difficult ways. And, and, uh, Times where the gendarme, the gendarme is like the sheriff, you know, they're the, the police of the outer lands, and they come at midnight and knock on my door, and there are these soldiers, and they say, We want to talk to you. You are in our country, and we think that you are here on false reasons. Come sit in our car. Shaken. You know, there's things that can shake you in life. And uh, because uh, should show a slide here. While we were there, these uh, is a beautiful land of Turkey where Paul the Apostle worked and did his labors. While we were there, these men uh, who ran a Christian publishing house were having their devotions uh, quietly in a little publishing house in the middle of our country. And uh, Muslim extremists broke into there who had actually... Those extremists had come to church the Sunday before and uh, gotten acquainted with these men, learned about their meeting time, and then they tied them to chairs and tortured them for three or four hours until their screams were heard by people outside of the building. And uh, finally, the extremists cut off their heads, jumped out the window, and ran on their way. And all of Turkey, of course, knew about this. Perhaps all of the world, you heard of this. But that story combined with the fact that the public opinion was on the side of the terrorists who did that, left me with an unsettled feeling each morning as I ate my breakfast and thought about how can I start a publishing house here in this country? How can I move forward the gospel? Well, you know, we don't have to have those kind of things in our life to have a sense of disease and a sense of unrest. Because you all know that life has its worries. This last year I lost my mom to cancer. Many of you probably have fought cancer. Some of you are still fighting cancer. Some of you lost somebody very close to you. Somebody that's, uh, that you loved. A child or your own, your own uh, mother, your own father. Life has its things that shake us. How are we going to be able to stand in those times of shaking, losing a job? One of the most unsettling times in my life was I was a pastor here at Franktown and at Colorado Springs. And for me, Franktown was like an oasis, you know. And I'd come back. Anybody here from Colorado Springs? I hope not. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, there was a lot of fighting and troubles down there. And I'd just come up here and I was so thankful. And and finally, those people decided that I was actually the problem of the sort of their problems, and they called the conference and, and, and got together uh, a coalition to fire me as their pastor in Colorado Springs. And I had just rented a house, put a deposit down uh, on a house, and then the conference called and said, we're going to move you. You're now going to be pastor of Franktown and Littleton, and uh, you're going to be totally out of Colorado Springs. Well, my house was in Colorado Springs. Shaken, I was totally shaken. Now what, you know? And uh, next thing I know, my my world had been just so nice, and now I'm sleeping in a basement somewhere in Denver, trying to figure out how am I going to get my life together. There are things in life that are just unnerving, unsettling. How do we find peace in those situations? And the Bible tells us in Psalms 16 this key: take 
note, if, you, if you've ever felt stress, ever felt anxiety, it says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me. There's the key right there. I have set the Lord always before me. The first key is I. I have. You see, it doesn't do any good if Pastor Jamie sets the Lord always before him for you. You got to do it yourself. If you want peace and contentment in your life, then you got to say, I will set the Lord before me. I'm going to write memory verses and put them in my shower. I'm going to set the Lord in my car when I turn on the radio. I'm going to set the Lord always before me. And it's got to be an I thing because the relationship of your mom or your dad or the relationship of your spouse isn't going to bring contentment to you. And so the key right here is that it's a, it's a personal thing. That in happy times, I will praise God. And in difficult times, I will seek God. And in quiet times, I will worship God. In painful times, I will trust God. And every time, I will thank God. Hallelujah. Why? Because I have set the Lord always before me. Make it a determination in your mind. I have chosen to set the Lord always before me. This is what was described to us in Deuteronomy as the advice of Moses, God actually, through Moses to the people. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and notice how God tells us how to set the Lord always before us. It says this, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you sit at Taco Bell, and when you walk through King Supers. <laughs> This verse just goes on and on. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. Man, you can't get more inclusive than that. Everything. It's all about the Lord, right? I was, this last week I had some trouble with my car. And so I went, uh, took it to a car dealer named Fayad's Auto. Now, if with a name like Fayad, I was thinking, oh, this guy's probably a Muslim. I'm going to be able to strike up a conversation and witness to him. I drove up, and right on his door is a big bumper sticker that says, I trust in Jesus. Ah, you know, I thought, okay, maybe he's just a politically motivated Muslim. <laughs> you know, it's not the best thing to, to, uh, to uh, maybe have the name Fayad in this time. But I went into his store, and there behind his counter was a big picture of Jesus with his arms open wide. There next to the car and driver magazine was a book called Rediscovering Jesus. I started striking up a conversation. He was a Christian. He was from Lebanon. And you know what? Jesus was always before him. He was a man who had chosen to always put Jesus in everything he does. And I thought, this is exactly the way that we are to live. Now, my job right now for Adventist Frontier Missions is to raise up tent makers. And this afternoon, I'm going to talk a little bit about what a tent maker is. Where do we get that name from anyway? 
Yeah, the Apostle Paul. It's, it's not, the riddle is out, okay? So, um, but it says, use your professional skills to expand God's kingdom. What we're finding is that though it's difficult for a missionary to go to Qatar or Dubai or Tunisia, people with skilled uh, labor, an engineer, a technician of some sort, can go in and freely work. And so what we're doing is raising up men and women who use their professional skills as chemists, as teachers, professors, to go and enter these lands and lift up the name of Jesus. Well, this is what Fayad was doing in Lincoln, Nebraska. Hallelujah! I went to a barber. Same thing. This barber had in his, uh, his magazine rack Discovery Bible Lessons. I thought, well, man, that's a strategic man. The Lord is always before him. On his walls, praises to the Lord. Not ashamed. Not a, a segregated life that says, this is my work life and this is my worship life, but an integrated life. You want peace? contentment, joy, then integrate your life. Because it really takes a lot of stress to live a separated life that's divided all the time and say, okay, if I speak of Jesus here, I might get in trouble. And if I don't speak of Jesus here, I might... No, uh, trust me, I, in Turkey, this was the, the, the mindset that was so, uh, such a, a, a degrading and baggage on me when I was hiding Jesus. Don't hide Jesus. Let him out. Shine for him. Let him be uh, your all in all. Speak of him in all parts of your life. A little girl said to her dad, he said, you know, dad, if God is bigger than us and God is supposed to live inside of us, then wouldn't he show? (laughs) Well, really, he does show, doesn't he? And you know how he shows is in our restfulness and in our contentment and our peace of mind. In Turkey, this idea of integration is much more prevalent. And the country is uh, all Muslim peoples, though many of them are secular. But almost any store that you go into, it'll have a picture of of the 99 names of God or a little picture of Mecca or a man or a woman will have some bead, which is they call a nazar bead, a belief in the evil eye, it, it, because they understand the spiritual life and the business life. It's all tied together. Now, the spiritual life isn't the same as us, and it, it may not be correct, but you go into any business and there's a little mat there where they can have their prayers on time. Integrated life. And so... The Bible verse in Psalm 16.8 gives us other advice. It says that I am to have the Lord's name always before me. That idea of before me is really uh, the same. We turn to Psalm 16.8. It says, I have set the Lord always before me. You see, I am the sheep. He is the shepherd. And the shepherd is before me. And that's what we see in Revelation chapter 7 where it says, The Lord is, is, uh, uh, we are, is my shepherd and I follow him wherever he goes. 
The idea of having the Lord before us is the same imagery as if the Lord were a a lighthouse guiding us, directing us. The Lord is always before me is the idea of Him being the North Star. And He's always out there. It's like when the Israelites were in the wilderness and there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Where was it to be? Right before them. A direction. And so to keep the Lord before you in all things. Because life does have its shaking moments. I want to tell you a little story about a time when we were in Turkey uh, and we had to have the, the most traumatic experience of moving to this city. <laughs> this is a beautiful place, isn't it? This is the city of Antalya. It's on the southern coast of Turkey. It's actually uh, mentioned in the Bible and right near there is uh, where Paul would have landed and embarked on some of his missionary journeys. Well, we had been living for about seven years in a city north of there, ancient Smyrna, which is one of the seven cities of Revelation. And uh, I decided that I, needed, I was the pastor of the church I needed time away to just really bear down on my Turkish. I was preaching in Turkish, but it was rusty. It was, it was rough. And so I thought, you know, if I could just move away for four months, just focus in on my Turkish, everything would be, would be so great. And so we packed up our car, and, and uh, Anya was doing homeschooling for the boys, and we uh, made plans, and we traveled about six hours from... This isn't going to show up on there. I got a little laser beam, but it doesn't show up on that. Uh, through those mountains and came down into this city. And some Christian friends had helped us to find a, uh, a place to live there. And uh, so there was a, a little apartment that they'd already arranged. We were so delighted that, that these Christians had helped to set up this apartment. Well, pretty soon, things started falling apart in that plan. And uh, the electricity was turned on and off, on and off in the building about every two hours. Well, for my wife who was doing homeschooling, and uh, it was already cold weather, it was January, this was pretty miserable. Well, there was one part of the house that wasn't uh, having heating problems, and that was the toilet. Because the hot water was somehow connected to the toilet, and the steam was coming out of the toilet, and you could sit on that toilet, and it was nice, nice and toasty. But it was just so unusual. And uh, there were other problems. A mold, a black mold started growing on one wall in the back of the house and it was the room that, that uh, my boys uh, were, were in and we were worried that they were going to breathe in this black mold. And uh, at the same time, there was an electrical fuse box that was in the bathroom near the shower, and it would make these crackling noises, and it was so unsettling. (laughs) And uh, there were just all different problems. Well, the worst problem from my wife's perspective were there were cockroaches in this apartment, and we're just not big on cockroaches. And... uh, and uh, it was, it was, the apartment was dirty from the previous people who had been there. And uh, we felt really like the Lord had led us there. The Christians had set this up, but things were just really shaking us. They were leaving us with disease and discontent and problems. Well, then I thought, you know, we're right on along this coast. Uh, I should get a bike. And I found a bike on Craigslist. I went and I bought this bike. I was so happy. I locked it up. It was a really nice bike. Next morning I come out 
and somebody had stolen that bike. Oh, man, I was so upset. I said, kids, let's go out and play some ball. We went out and played some soccer right there, and you know what? I stepped on that soccer ball, slipped, and fell right on my hip. They had to wheel me off to the hospital. Man, things are really getting bad. In just a very short time, in about a a seven-day, eight-day period, I I get this electric bill, and uh, the bill says I owe $300 for the six days that I had been in the apartment. I said, well, this is obviously the electric bill from the previous renter. I called the landlord, the guy who was loaning me the apartment. I said, uh, hey, I think this electric bill must be yours. He said, no, no, no. You have to pay all of that. But he said, I think that the man who owns the building is cheating us on electricity. I think he's wired the electricity in from your apartment and he's stealing it. He says, why don't you help me? We'll take him to court. I hung up the phone and I said, Lord, help me. <laughs> I got to get out of this situation somehow. Lord, help me. And uh, so I said, God, how, how, how is this? How are you going to solve this? I, 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 my wife is already, she was just sick from all of the cold, the stress, and all the things. She's laying in bed. And uh, I said, Kids, come, let's go look for the bike thief. Well, that's what I told the kids. But I actually had a secret plan, which was that we were going to go look for apartments. <laughs> By then, I clearly knew uh, Turkish really well enough to look for apartments. Uh, before, when we first got there, I mean, how do you look for an apartment when you don't even know the language? And so the word, the word for, for sale is uh, satalik, and the word for cucumber is salatalik. So I would go around and I'd say, hey, you got any uh, cucumbers I can live in? <laughs> but uh, so we started driving around and I thought, you know, this would be just wonderful if we could get somewhere near, down near this, this coastal area. And we looked at different apartments, but we just needed it for four months. And to find a place that's going to rent you an apartment, particularly furnished, because we didn't bring any furniture and we looked and looked and didn't see anything that was said for rent. Rent is Kyrillic and uh, called on several places. Nobody had anything they wanted to rent for that short of time. And then I saw a sign that said for sale. And, of course, I wasn't going to buy anything. But some instinct, some spirit uh, push on my heart said, call that number. Well, I wish I could show you on this laser where that apartment is, but it's, it's in this picture, uh, and it's real close to the seacoast, just about 200 yards from the seacoast. And, uh, and I thought, ah, this is going to be... Uh, no chance. But I, I called the guy and I said, look, I said, I'm just here with my family. I said, I see your place is for sale and the curtains are still hanging in it. I said, is there any chance that it's furnished? He said, yeah, it's still furnished. He said, we're selling it for such and such exorbitant price. And I was like, well, I said, I just need a place for four months. You think I could rent that place? And he says, well, he says, I've got family, uh, my wife's family. He says, I'm Turkish, but my wife is Norwegian. They're coming down in, in May. I said, well, I'm only needing it till, till April. He said, well, let's talk. So he invites me to come and talk to him. So I go and get my sick wife. I said, honey, there's a beautiful place the guy wants to talk to us about. I said, come on. Get out of bed. So I get my wife, and we leave that moldy apartment for just a, a while while the electricity is off, and the cockroaches can dance and play. And uh, <laughs> we went down to where this apartment was and uh, met this man 
Turkish man, and I had already decided it's a very negative thing for me to say there that I am a, a, a religious worker any, of any type. And, uh, but I decided, you know, I'm entering a new city. I am going to just tell the person directly. They don't have a word for pastor, so I'm going to just tell them I am a priest because that's what any landlord wants to know is what do you do for a living, right? So we get in, we look at this place, and it's immaculate, beautiful furniture. The kitchen, we, un, we open the drawer, beautiful silverware. The, everything is there for us to use perfectly. I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful, big living room, uh, warm. It's nice and warm. So I, uh, I get to talking to him, and he says, what do you do for a living? I look him in the eye, and I say, I am a priest. And he looks at me and says, really? You were speaking in Turkish. He says, really, do you know what a pastor is? <laughs> I said, well, yes, I do. I said, that's really interesting. He said, well, do you know what a Seventh-day Adventist is? I was just, I mean, Turkey is 80 million people, and I had never met anybody that ever heard of 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 Seventh-day Adventists. So I'm looking at him with my mouth open. I said, yes, I do. He said, well, my wife is from Norway and her brother was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I will not be shaken. I will set the Lord always before me because he prepares the way. Well, what had, uh, this woman, she had gone to our Adventist schools, fallen out, married this Turkish man, and that very week... Her sister, Seventh-day Adventist sister, was visiting from Norway. And they said, well, well if you're a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, why don't you come and meet our sister? Well, she had just gotten cancer. And she needed somebody to pray for her. And here's the Seventh-day Adventist pastor who could go and pray for her. And so my wife and I, holding hands, walk over there just shaking our heads, wondering how is this all going to play out. And we go up to their apartment uh, next door, uh, up in a tall building next door, and we meet these people and we have a prayer time in this Muslim Turkish man's house for this Seventh-day Adventist woman who is on vacation. Unbelievable. And uh, as we're talking with them, he, we talk about price, and he, he set the price very low, like $350 a month for us to, to live in this, uh, this beautiful place. And uh, my wife says, if God wants us to have this place, he will lower the price. <laughs> I, I was already thinking God had done his miracle. Well, you know, when we were just leaving it, this Turkish man says to me, he says, do you know it's so odd? He says, I hung that for sale sign just 15 minutes before you called. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. God has miracles to do for us. And you could stand up here and tell your own miracles of times where the Lord has provided for you. God is good. He is powerful. Let Him always be before you that you will not be shaken. He is a great God. And you know, two days later, that man called and said, you know, my wife and I have been thinking about you too and we'd like to lower the price for you. 
And so here it was, we were in this new city, not a single Seventh-day Adventist in the city of a million people, and we moved there. My effort was to go there so that I could have time away, where I wouldn't have any ministry duties. But do you know what? That place that the Lord arranged, not what I had tried to figure out my own methods, but the Lord arranged that place had a huge living room, just big enough for a home church. Coincidentally, somehow God knew that because then we met a a Romanian woman who wished she could be baptized and lived in that city for a, a long time, married to a Turkish man. She wanted to meet on Sabbath. We started meeting in our home. I met three French guys who were Muslims, started inviting them, and they joined a Bible study on Sabbaths. Then there was a guy who on Facebook had interest in Seventh-day Adventists, wrote to one other guy off Facebook and said, do you know any Seventh-day Adventists who live in Antalya? I got a phone call on the same day that we were arriving in Antalya saying, could you come and teach me about what the Seventh-day Adventist church is all about? Within, within just two weeks, we had a group of seven people in our living room. The Lord, the Lord is strong and able He will put things together if we will be His servants. If we will keep His name before us, He will give us peace, power, strength, contentment. What do you need in your life? Do you need direction? Do you need focus? Do you need contentment? Do you need peace? Set the Lord before you. He's going to give it to you. Do you know the most beautiful thing about this psalm, Psalm 16? I I read it to you just one more time in the the verses 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Where have you heard those words before? Do you know what? That's the words that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He pulled this psalm out and applied it to our Lord Jesus Christ that Jesus would set the Lord always before Him. What is it that drove Jesus to Calvary? Because He always had the Lord before Him. That He would press forward and could endure the cross because He always had the Lord before Him. And there was that thief on His right hand who He said, This day I tell you, You will be with me in paradise. And that's the place that God has preserved for you, is to be at His right hand. If you've never taken those words for yourself, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. Could you have any more contentment than that? To hear those words? They're for you. Could you have any more peace than that to hear the maker of the universe say, you will be with me in paradise? I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.